All right, if you have your Bibles, grab them. Acts chapter 10 is where we're at this morning. Um, now, some of you won't get this, and that might explain what's wrong with you. Others of you will get it, it'll explain what's right with you. But growing up, uh, many of us, many, some of you had to do this thing where you wanted the TV to work, and it wouldn't work, and so you had to go behind it and move the antennae, antennas, uh, until they would get the connection right. I didn't really have to do that. Maybe sometimes when I went to my grandparents' house, I messed with that a little bit. But for me, it was more the Nintendo. And what did you do when the Nintendo didn't work? <laughs> right? <laughs> Put it in. Nope. You pull it back out. <laughs> Blow inside that. <laughs> Blow in there. Get out of breath. And for me, what, what we did, I don't, this may have been wrong. I'm not sure if this was um, in the instructions or not. But what we did for whatever reason, I don't know why we did this. But if, if the blowing on it didn't work, we got Windex. And we sprayed Windex inside the, the game cartridge and inside the Nintendo. And we'd wipe it out and wipe that thing. Maybe it worked after that, let me tell you. Windex was always a thing to go to to get it to work if blowing on it didn't work. So sometimes, you know, if you don't, if, if you put the game in there, or di you didn't get the antennas right or whatever, you wouldn't get a good connection. Or the game wouldn't get the right connection, and so the screen wouldn't work. You wouldn't be able to see what you were supposed to see happening because you had a bad connection. And I think sometimes the same is true of our walk with God. Like maybe yesterday or a week ago or a month ago, whatever, you felt like you had this strong connection with God. That uh, this, this uh, you, where you could clearly see that God was working in your life, you could see where he was growing you, you could see where he was pushing you, but maybe today, maybe recently, maybe you go through seasons where you got a bad connection and, and there's static, there's silence, and you wonder, did I do something wrong? Did I, did I mess it up? Do I need to do something to, to fix the problem so that I can see God working in my life again? So I can be used by God again? Sometimes when God has been at, his, uh, at work in my life, it's been super obvious. You know, like when, when, you, when you come to faith for the first time, I, I remember God mildly working in my life. When I was called to ministry, I could feel God mildly at work in my life. There have been other times where God has had to smack me upside the head and teach me something. And I could feel those times where he was at work in my life, where he's pushing me out of my comfort zone or something. But then there are times I experience when I feel like I'm in the desert, where I feel like I'm all alone, where I feel like I'm crying, like, like, like the Israelites in the wilderness. I'm crying out to God, why do you have me here? What are you doing? Where are you? I feel this void. I feel this silence. God, where are you? I'm alone. I don't feel you. I don't feel you teaching me anything. I don't feel you pushing me anyway. You're just, just, just static. And in those moments, I wonder, God, how do I get you back in? How do I, how do I get connected again? How do, I, how do I get to be used again? It can be so discouraging, I think, in those moments. You can feel so alone in those moments. Feel like God isn't interested in you or using you anymore or growing you anymore. I wonder if you're here this morning and you might feel that way. I wonder if you're here this morning and you've maybe felt like God was too busy doing other things in other people's lives and you, would, you just kind of wish he'd do it in yours. 
right? Like maybe you're like me and you see people and they'll, they'll share powerful testimonies about how God moved in their life and used them uh, in some powerful way or, uh, or they, God taught them this crazy thing and just, it was just this dramatic story. That over the past six months, you know, God's been doing this or that. We see these things. We see people talk about these things. And it looks so fulfilling. It looks so awesome when other people tell these stories. And sometimes we look at that and go, man, I just wish that was me. Man, I just wish God would do that in my life. I wish that God would, would teach me something and, 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 and call me to something. Why not me? I want that. God, where are you? Why won't you do that in my life? Our story this morning in Acts chapter 10 shows us two unlikely companions and how when they least expected it, God was working in their lives. Both of them didn't think they really needed necessarily God to be at work in their lives, but God was working when they, even when they didn't realize it. And what I want you to see this morning is that from beginning to end, God is always at work in our life. From beginning to end, God is always at work in our lives. We'll be looking at all of chapter 10 today, but it's very long, and so I'm not going to read the whole thing. And so we're going to read the beginning part, and we'll read a couple other little parts, and then I'm going to kind of fill in the blanks and kind of tell you the story. So, Acts chapter 10, starting verse 1, Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and pens these words. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The first thing to notice about Cornelius, this guy, is that he is what was called at the time a God-fearer, meaning that he practiced, he wasn't a Jew, he was a Gentile, uh, uh, but he practiced a lot of this, these Jewish customs. Uh, he went to synagogue. He would have believed in Yahweh. He, would have, uh, uh, he wouldn't have practiced the food laws necessarily. Uh, he wouldn't have been allowed to go into the inner parts of the temple but he gave to the, to the poor, he gave alms, he prayed to God, he, he was about as Jewish as you could get without being Jewish. And the first thing you need to understand here is that though this man believed in Yahweh, believed in God, though he prayed, though he went to synagogue, though he knew the Old Testament, he knew the Bible, he was not yet a believer. Understand, when I use that term believer, I, I, I don't mean that he's just someone who believes in God. I, when I say believer, I mean someone who has been converted, who's been made new, who's been born again, who has entered the family of God. He has not yet become a believer in Christ. See, you can be religious and still be separated from God. That's an important thing for us to know. You can, you can be religious and still be separated from God. You see, religion is about what you do, but the gospel 
It's about what has been done for you. Religion is about climbing the ladder to get to God, climbing the ladder to get to heaven, climbing the ladder to, to make it up there. It's about what you do. It's about going to church. It's about giving money. It's about serving in the nursery, bless God. It's about uh, reading your Bible. It's about giving. It's about doing all of these things. But those are, and while all those are good things and things we should do, those are things that we do, in, as Nathan talked about, in response to God's love, not to get it. Religion says, do this, and you'll climb the ladder and make it to God. But the gospel says, you can't climb the ladder to heaven. No amount of good works would ever even get you up one step, one rung up the ladder. The only hope you have is to look and trust in the one who has come down the ladder, scooped you up in his arms, and carried you on his back back up it. Your only hope is to look to a cross and a resurrection. It was to look to Jesus and trust that he's got you. Faith in him is the only way up. So at this point in our story, Cornelius is just a religious guy. He's a religious guy, and he's far from God. He's a good religious man, but he is far from God. But God is at work in his life, and the story isn't over. And so while he is praying, God sends him a vision, telling him, hey, I want you to send some men to this place called Joppa, and you are going to find a guy there named Simon Peter. Bring him back to you. Now, what is God doing here? Why God knows that Cornelius is far from him, uh, and that if Cornelius truly wants to know God, have a relationship with God, that he has to hear the gospel and believe it and be saved. Like God knows that. And so the first thing we got to understand is that apart from the gospel, there is no salvation. All right, so, so what's going on here? God knows Cornelius needs to hear this message, that the religion that he's experiencing right now is not enough. And God knows that apart from the gospel, apart from hearing and believing the gospel, there is no salvation. This is, this is an important thing that we've got to understand. And it can be difficult. But we need to realize that apart from the gospel, there is no salvation. That there is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved, and that is the name Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the, the two billion people across the globe right now in this moment in 2021... That two billion people who have never heard the gospel, who have never heard about Jesus, who understand that when they die, they do not get a free pass. Understand that they do not, at the gates of heaven, get to plead ignorance. They do not get to say, God, we didn't know. Their sin is just as condemnable before God as ours, and they will be judged by the good and right judge accordingly and will be found guilty and sent to hell. And that is a difficult truth to grasp. That is a difficult truth to wrestle with. But understand that apart from the gospel, there is no salvation. Ignorance does not get you a free pass to heaven. And that, that hard, difficult truth is why missions is so important. That's why Paul makes such a big deal about missions in Romans when he leads up to chapter 10. So missions is so, so important. So missions can't be an afterthought. It is why we should be praying that God raise up more missionaries, send more missionaries. That we should be passionate about doing missions. That we should be praying that our kids would grow up to go and move overseas and live in huts and learn foreign languages and preach the gospel to people who haven't heard it yet. Because unless they hear it, 
They can't believe, and unless they believe, they won't be saved. They, they are, the people across the world right now are just like Cornelius is in this moment. He has no hope because he doesn't know the gospel. He's not heard it. He's still practicing Jewish customs. He's still going to synagogue. See, God, but then God sends Cornelius a vision that he needed to get Peter. He sends Cornelius this vision to get Peter because Cornelius needed someone like Peter to tell him about Jesus, to tell him the gospel so that he could be saved. So here's the interesting question. Why doesn't God just tell him himself? God's already got Cornelius' attention. He's already linked up with him in this vision. Why doesn't God just tell Cornelius the things he needs to know? Why does he got to send some guys across the world to find Peter and bring him back? Why? Certainly God could have done that. Certainly God could do that right now. Certainly God in his power could reveal his truth. He could reveal the gospel to every person alive in a dream, in a vision, in a trance, whatever. He could do that right now if he wanted to, but he doesn't. God has chosen to spread his good news, not through miraculous dreams and visions, but through an army of messengers raised up, called the church, to send to the four corners of the earth to share the gospel. God has placed the hope of people around the world in, in us to get this message to them. It's why Paul in Romans 10 verse 14 says, How then will they, talking about those people who don't know him, how will they call on him and whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him and whom they've never heard? How can they believe if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Some of you might be wondering why God is not at work in your life. And I think so often it is not that he isn't at work. It's that he is pointing you again, pointing us again and again to do this most basic, most central work of ours of sharing the gospel. And again and again we just like are too busy or too scared or too nervous. And we refuse him. We want God to work in our lives. We're out in the desert. We're like, God, come work. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Come work. And it's like, okay, go share the gospel with that guy, the cubicle next to you. And you're like, wow, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I'm a little crazy. <laughs> we need to understand that there are Corneliuses all around us. We work with them. We hang out with them. Some of them live, live under our roofs. There are people around you that are very far from God, yes, but there are also a lot of people that are around you that are very religious, like Cornelius. There are people in your life that are very religious. They go to church, maybe. They say the right things, maybe. On their Facebook, if you go to about under religious, it says, you know, Christian or something. But they are yet still separated from God and don't understand or know the gospel, and it is our task to take it to them. You know, you hear lots of stories, especially in third world countries, about people who have dreams from God. Uh, stories like I read actually one this past week uh, about this underground church uh, in the Middle East who uh, they were being hunted 
um, by Muslim extremists. And so their, their church was in hiding, and they were, would meet regularly in this very secret place and had to go through all these elaborate things to get there, make sure nobody was following them, all this stuff. And they were meeting and, and, and studying the Bible together, but there were these men who for months have been hunting them, trying to figure out where they were meeting so that they could uh, arrest them, torture them, kill them. Um, but by God's grace, this church had remained hidden and safe. Until one night, as they were gathered, studied, studying the Bible in secret late at night, uh, they heard on the door someone come and, and knock. And you can imagine in that moment, they're like, oh, gosh. And in that moment, they think they're, they've been caught, right? And they go to the door, and they answer it, and it's one of these men. Big, burly, bearded man who has found them. And this man says to them, he says, I had a dream last night, and God told me where to find you. And that if I came to this house, um, I would meet a man who would tell me how I could be saved and know God. Is that you? Can you help me? This kind of thing happens all the time. Where God may send a vision or a dream and do these supernatural things to prepare people. To prepare people to, to, to send them in the right direction. To send them to the person where, that can share the message that they need to hear. But understand. Even if God sends a dream, sends a vision, he is sending them to somebody else. Because the saving message of the gospel must always come from the mouths of people ready and willing to share it. So Peter shows up. Peter, she, he shows up at Cornelius' house and, and, and tells Peter, uh, Cornelius tells Peter about the vision. Here's what God said, here's what happened. And then everyone, there's all these people in the house, his whole family, all the servants, everybody. They're just looking, okay, so what's the deal? So Peter's there. He doesn't really, Peter doesn't know why he's there yet. He's just there staring at all these people. He's like, hey, God gave me this vision, told me to get you, that you had a word for us. So what is it? So there Peter stands. And Peter realizes, and he shares the gospel, this message of grace and forgiveness, this message of a crucified and risen Christ. And everyone in the house believes, comes to know the Lord, and Peter baptizes them, and they join God's family. See, Cornelius did not understand how God was working. Cornelius did not know that he was lacking information. He did not know that he was separated from God. He thought he was doing all the right things. Cornelius did not think he needed God to work in his life in this way. He was not looking or expecting God to work. But even when he couldn't see it, God was working. And Cornelius moved from being a devout devoted religious man to being a child of God. There are some of you here this morning, and you are like Cornelius. There are some of you who are sitting here right now, and you are Cornelius. You are a good person. You believe in God. You, uh, you are religious enough that you're here. You're in church. But deep down, you know that you have never believed the gospel. You've never given your life to Christ. You've never bowed your knees to Jesus as king. And I hope today that you will see that God is at work in your life. That he's not abandoning you to the desert. But that he is screaming to you to come to him. Calling you to himself. And I hope this morning you will let him work. Now, unless you think that this story is all about God working in Cornelius' life, it's not. God is also working in Peter's life. Remember, God could have just told Cornelius the truth. God could have just said, hey, Cornelius, in the dream, here's what you need to know and believe. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that because he's sending Peter. Because not only was he getting the gospel to Cornelius, but he had to do something in Peter's life. 
God's playing 3D upside down underwater chess, so he's got a lot of moving parts. Now, I think it would be really easy for Peter to think that he doesn't have many areas to grow in. I think about Peter, who he is. He's, Jesus is like one of his closest, if not the closest disciple to Jesus himself. Peter had been following Jesus, learning from the master for three years. Uh, Jesus told Peter that he was the rock on which he'd build his church. Then, he, then Peter preaches this amazing sermon at Pentecost. 3,000 people get saved. Peter's at the top of this whole new religious movement, and Peter's letters ended up being in the Bible. Surely Peter has arrived. Surely there is not much he needed to learn. But oh, how wrong that is. And may we never think that we have come so far that God has nothing left to teach us. I think you could fill, fill up the Grand Canyon with things that the most mature among us in this room still need to learn. Y'all can amen that. So here's Peter. He's staying at this friend's house. Uh, another guy named Simon. Must have been a common name. Uh, he's staying at this friend's house. And while he is praying... He receives this vision from the Lord. Now, let me point out, I think, one quick quick observation that I think is helpful. In both cases, both of these men heard from God, and God worked in their life when they were praying. Now, I'm not saying when you pray that you should expect a big vision, a dream, or something like that. But what I am saying is that you shouldn't ever expect to understand what God is trying to do in your life. You should never expect to understand where God is moving, where God is working, what God is trying to teach or call you to. If you never make room and set aside a time to pray, to reflect, to meditate, to listen. Sometimes we're like just moving so fast in life and we're like, God, I need you to do something. And we're just going, 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 going. We've got to slow down. Like open up this book. And listen and pray and ask God, what are you doing in my life? And listen. If you feel like you're in your life and you don't know where God is leading, you don't know what he's doing, you feel his absence, maybe you should make some time for God in your life and pray. Serious, alone, uninterrupted, put your phone in the other room, prayer time. So here is Peter, he's praying, he receives this vision, and, and what happened, I'm not going to read it to you, but uh, go back and read it later, this sheet comes down from heaven in this vision. A sheet comes down, big old sheet, and on it are all these animals. And there are all of these animals that the Old Testament forbids Jews to eat. And so you got pigs on the blanket, some shrimps, you know, going around on the blanket, a bunch of lizards, birds, things like that, uh, running around on this blanket. And so Peter sees this blanket, and who knows what he's thinking? And then God says, Peter, I want you to take, kill, and eat. Peter's like, mm, no, thank you. He's like, no, I ain't going to do that. He immediately says no. And he says, I have never eaten unclean food, never eaten common, unclean, unlawful food, and I won't do it today. I love Peter's boldness that he just tells God no. And God tells him this three times. I don't know what Peter's deal is with having to be told things three times, but he tells him three times. And all three times, Peter's like, no, not going to do it. Uh, My lips have never touched what is unclean. But then God says to him, what God has made clean, 
do not call it common or unclean. Then Peter wakes up from the dream and he is perplexed by what this vision means. Like, what does it mean when God sends you this blanket and there's just bacon right there, just sizzling, crisp, crunchy, glorious, God-given, holy bacon? And he's, God's like, eat it. And Peter's like, no. We're like, what? You are, that is ungodly, Peter. Eat the bacon. And so Peter is, is thinking like, why is God trying to give me bacon? Bacon's bad. God's like, no, bacon is good. So Peter is wrestling, trying to understand what is, what is this dream about? What is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to show me when he hears a knock at the door? And at the door are Cornelius' men whom he has sent to find Peter. Peter senses the Spirit's leading and involvement in this, and he, and he goes down, sees these men, sees that they are Gentiles, that they're sent by Cornelius. And I want to stop right there for a moment. What is going on? Like, what, what's the point? What's the point of this vision? What's the point of Cornelius' his men showing up to get Peter? What is God doing? See, at this point in Peter's life, Peter had not yet fully embraced this idea that non-Jews, Gentiles, could fully know God. He still thought that there was this primary relationship for Israelites, for Jews, with God, and that the Gentiles were still kind of secondary, kind of like, yeah, y'all can kind of watch and get a little bit, but really it's for us. And, and what's amazing, and this, this should be somewhat encouraging for us, I think. What's amazing about that, that God is, that Peter still hasn't got this, is that think about this. That God has been trying to teach Peter this for a long time. Like way back in John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, like when they were early on. Do you remember who Jesus introduced the disciples to? The Samaritan woman. And, and the disciples are like, Jesus, you can't be talking to her. And Jesus is like, who's in charge here? Right? And, 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 and he ministers to this Samaritan woman. And, and, and throughout Jesus, Peter following Jesus, he saw again and again Jesus love and care for Gentiles. Peter at Pentecost preached and saw 3,000 people from every nation around the world come to faith. Peter, just a few chapters ago in Acts, went to Samaria, Gentiles, and, and saw the Spirit fall on these people. And Jesus himself told Peter and all of the disciples in Acts 1.8, Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like, Peter, how are you not getting this yet? I think while it might be easy for us to read this and blame Peter for being hard-headed, I think it is more indicative of us than we might want to admit. That many times, God has to work really, really hard to change us and to teach us and get us to change our mind, change our behaviors, and he's just coming again and again, trying to teach us again and again and again, just beating at us and beating at us and beating at us and, and until finally we get it. And I don't know about y'all, but like I'm pretty hard-headed. Don't amen that. I'm pretty hard-headed. And God has to pound, I heard that. And God has to pound away at me until finally he breaks through my hardened heart and he helps me admit that I was wrong and I need to change my view or my mind or my behavior about something. This made me think of growing up, I worked at my grandfather's tire shop, Wilson Tire, for, for most of my um, coming up years. And um, every Saturday, which was more busy, um, we had this guy come in and help us. And his name was Moody, Officer Moody. Moody was one of the kindest, 
gentlest men I'd ever met. He was a state patrol officer, and he was near retirement. And man, I just loved Moody. He was so good to me. He was kind to me, good to my family. He was an awesome dude. Well, as I had uh, spent some time with him every Saturday and got to know him better and better, and uh, when I was about 16 years old, we, we were kind of slow at the tire shop, and, and we were just talking about life, and he began to tell me this story. And he said, Brent, you may not know this about me, but when I was younger, I was a racist. And I was like, what? And he told me about how he despised black people. He told me about how he would pull black people over, state patrol officer, just for being black and would try to get them on some kind of charge, try to, try to trip them up. One time he told me about how he pulled my uncle over, and my uncle's driving, and he went to the passenger side just to pull out his black friend and, and pat him down and search him and question him and never said a word to my uncle. And he talked about how, how terrible of a person he was for doing all this. And he talked about how people in his life tried to convince him otherwise, had to, tried to change him, tried to tell him that he had to stop this and, and not do this. He, said that he, he was in church, and he felt the Lord trying to teach him to stop doing this. But he, had, he talked about how he had this hatred in his heart, this prejudice in his heart that wouldn't go away. And then one day his daughter brought home this young black man and started dating him, and it sent him through the roof. He was furious. And, but no matter what he said or no matter what he did, no matter what he threatened, she wouldn't break up or leave him. And so he eventually kind of pushed his daughter out of his life and stopped talking to her. And then nine months later, he went to the hospital to see his uh, grandbaby, his first grandchild be born. And when he held this little baby in his arms, all of a sudden her dark skin didn't matter. And he cried and he loved her and he said, that moment changed me forever. And then he became the man that I knew, kind, gentle, gracious, wonderful man. God had been trying to teach him something his whole life, been trying to change him. And finally, it took something really dramatic for God to finally get through to him. I love the, how the Bible talks about how God changes us, that iron sharpens iron. You know, when a blacksmith goes to make a sword, he takes this piece of metal that is bent up and warped and got just jagged edges all over and you have to heat it up till it is glowing red and then you take another piece of metal and you just start beating on it and beating on it turn it over and beating on it some more and beating on it some more and heat it up and beat it on it and until you have until all the little jagged edges fall off and all all the clumps fall off and all the warps get flattened out and all the twists and turns get straightened out and sparks are flying, it's hot, there's pressure, and he's beating on it until finally you throw it into the cold water, it steams, and when you pull it out, there's this perfectly straight, warp-free, no jagged edges sword. I think, man, every, every, every one of us in our lives, like we are this slab of metal that is jagged and warped and twisted, and God is fashioning us into this beautiful sword. But, he, but to do it, he's got to beat some stuff out of us. Right? He's got to knock some, some jagged edges off. He's got to beat out these warps and beat out these twists and turns until finally we're perfectly straight. But the problem is, is we are different than like a passive piece of metal. Right? Because when you, when you beat on the sword, it just kind of gives in. But when, you, when God tries to push on us, we fight back. We push back. Like we resist. When God calls us to change, we're like, and we push back against that. He calls to tries to teach us something, tries to call something. We resist. We're like, no, God, I, I know, I know better. That's not wise. That's not good. That's not smart. I'm not going to do that. 
And like Peter, we say no at least three times, if not more, until finally God gets through to us. And when he does, when God finally makes that bent or warped part of us straight, we change. Different. I want you to notice that true change always involves the whole person. It involves the mind, the heart, and the hands. I want you to see that in Peter's life. You see, Peter receives this vision at a time where he still believes that God is showing partiality or favoritism uh, to the Jews and still a prejudice toward non-Jews in Peter's heart. And so Peter is contemplating the meaning of this vision. What does it mean that God wants me to eat bacon? What does that mean? That he wants me to eat unclean food? And he slowly is going to get it in his mind that the Gentiles who were once unclean, God has now made clean to the blood of Christ. He's getting it. Oh, unclean food made clean, unclean people made clean. And so first his mind begins to change. And then it begins to creep down from his mind into his heart. And so Peter has the vision. He's contemplating it. Then he goes downstairs to the gate where these people are knocking, these men from Cornelius that he sent. And Peter does something shocking that you might miss in the text if you read it too fast. Peter invites these men into his home, into this house as his guests. He eats with them. He spends the night with them and gets up and eats breakfast with them before they head out on this journey together. And this is important because this is a time in history where having a meal together meant that you accepted these people. Having a meal together and being in the same house together, keeping their company meant you approved of these people. Peter in his past would never have shown kindness or gentleness uh, toward a Gentile, toward a non-Jew. He would have walked on the other side of the street. He would have spit at them. He would have looked down his nose at them. But now he is inviting them to his table to dine. He is showing hospitality to them. Verse 28 kind of gives you an insight into the relationship. It says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with, with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And it starts in Peter's mind, and then it goes down to his heart, and it changes the way he's starting to feel toward these people. His heart is changing. And finally, we see his hands change. The next morning, Peter travels with these men to Cornelius' home, and he's still not sure why he's there until he gets there, and he sees Cornelius and the whole house, and they're waiting for him to say something. And he knows that God has sent him, and then Peter finally gets it, that these people need the gospel, and he shares the gospel and baptizes them. Peter the apostle. Peter, the guy who wrote part of the Bible, learned something new, and God worked in his life and changed him for the better on this day. But understand, as the book of Acts will make clear in later chapters, Peter had more things to continue to learn and to work out, to continue to grow in. And man, that is true of all of us in this room. The comforting thing is that none of us have arrived None of us have arrived. None of us have got it all figured out. Instead, we gather in this room each week to remind ourselves of grace, remind ourselves of forgiveness, remind ourselves that we need a Savior, and to hear about how God ought to be changing in our lives, how to hear about how we ought to be living our lives in different directions, to listen to the voice of God speak and change us. See, from the beginning of our walk with God till the end, we are on this journey together. A journey where we are being fashioned and conformed into the image of Jesus. 
And we will not find that work completed until we get on the other side of glory. But if we follow Jesus, if we seek his face, if we meet him in his word, and we pray, we set aside time, if we're honest with ourselves, if we see, listen to this, if we see repentance, not as a burden, well, we must prostrate ourselves in, in embarrassment before people. But if we see repentance as a gift from God at work in our lives, it will change us. See, like Cornelius, coming to faith was just the beginning of our journey. Coming to a faith is the beginning of the amazing things God wants to work and do in your life. And like Peter, no matter how far we go, no matter how far we think we've come, God is never done with us. He still has work yet to do. He has lessons still to teach. He has behavior still to correct. Correct. He still wants to change us and call us to new work. Our minds, our heart, and our hands all need to come into greater and greater conformity to the image of Christ, and God is going to continue that work. Maybe you are here this morning, and you are like, Brent, I want God to do work in my life. I want God to be speaking in my life, but I don't see it. I don't, I don't know where he's at. I see him working in other people. Like I see I'm working in other people's lives. I get together with my girlfriends and we talk and I talk. And God is just at work in their life, but I don't see him at work in mine. How, how do, what do I do? I don't want to be left on the sideline just twiddling my thumbs waiting for God. I want to, I'm going to be doing something. I think there are three, three problems that we need to daily overcome, and I think we will begin to see where God is at work in your life. Three quick things. One, you have to slow down and make time for God. Life is so busy. We go and go and go, and sometimes we lay our head on our pillow at night, and we realize, man, I have not prayed or thought about God all day, and I'm way too tired now. Plus, my favorite show's on. I got to watch it. And you, you don't want God to have to do something dramatic to get your attention. So start making time for him, talking to him, listening to him, read his word, meditate on it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Just open it, read, and listen. Slow down and make time for God, too. Set no expectations on God. We often want God, I think, I think this is a big problem, we often want God to, to work in a particular area of our life. And so we pray and we think and we devote time and energy to looking and praying and watching for God to fix this thing over here. We're focused on this thing. And we get disappointed because we're praying and praying and God's not doing anything. Why, God, why aren't you doing something? I've been praying. Why aren't you doing something to this thing over here? I've been praying. I've been asking. Why aren't you working over here? And God's trying to be like, I'm working over here. I know you think this is important. But we'll get to that later because that's not that big of a deal. This thing right here, baby, we got, we got some work to do. I need you focused over here. Turn your head over here and look. And we're like, nope, nope, no. Nope. I want you to work over here. I need this. God, this matters to me. And God's like, I know. And that's the problem. That this matters too much to you. We need to work over here. And so I think we've got to set no expectations on God, on what he should or should not be doing, where he should or should not be working. And if we set that side of time where we're listening, maybe we'll just realize, oh, maybe looking over here. Oh, because God is doing this thing in my life. And I needed this more than I realized. Because I thought I wanted this. But really, this is more important. This is a bigger deal. We've got to stop setting expectations on where God should be work, working and start searching and being open to seeing where he's working. Third, we have to obey his voice. 
I think the hardest thing to do in our walk with God is to obey him. I think the hardest thing is to obey him. And I don't know if it's, you know, our selfishness or our hard-headedness or, or our busyness or what it is. But when God calls us to do something, often our first instinct is to fight and resist. But I found over time that if I listen to him, if I don't resist, every time I do, Whatever he asks me, no matter how crazy it is, no matter how out of my way it is, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how much I don't want to do it, if I obey, if I do it, I find that I'm encouraged. I find that, I, that it matters. I felt like I had purpose. Even if it was hard, even if it was uncomfortable, in the end it bettered my life and it made my walk with God and my life richer for having obeyed. A buddy of mine was telling me the other day about uh, a friend of his who was in some, some trouble and was out of work. And he was just driving down the road and he felt God just clearly say, I need, you need to send him some money. And he was like, okay, I'll go to Kroger, get a $50 gift card, send it to him. God was like, no, no, that's not enough. But 100? I'll, go, I'll give him 100 bucks, okay, that'll stretch me a little bit. But get, no, no, that's not enough. And he kept telling me how he kept up in the ante, and it kept, God kept saying, nope, not enough, not enough. And he's like, God, are you talking to me? I'm not sure. But finally, he got to whatever number, and he went and helped his friend out. He did this thing. It stretched their family, but it blessed him, and it blessed someone else. Obedience always leads to our blessing. Maybe you're here this morning and you sense right now that God is, uh, is trying to teach you something, trying to call you to something, trying to bring something to your mind because there is something in your life that you've been resisting. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been harboring bitter feelings. You've been harboring anger or unforgiveness towards someone. And you, and you don't even want to think about the possibility of forgiving or showing mercy or grace to, so, to this person because they just drive you crazy and you're mad at them. And maybe God has been trying to tell you, he's trying to tell you right now that the ball is in your court. And it doesn't matter how much they've offended you because you offended God much more and it's time to forgive them and move on. Maybe it's time to stop fighting that. Maybe you're here this morning and that you, you see in your mind that person that God has been laying on your heart to share the gospel with. And you were just like, oh, I don't want to do it. I'm so scared. I don't know what to say. I don't know, I don't know how it will go. I might get fired. I might lose a friend. I, I don't know. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you need to love your spouse better. You need to love your spouse the way Jesus loves you. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to grow in generosity. That God has been calling you to be generous in some area and you've been fighting it. Because your time is more precious to you or your money is more precious to you or whatever. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you, God is calling you to been reading his word and to pray and you've been too busy because the bachelorette's on and you can't miss that thing. Maybe you've got to start setting aside some time intentionally in your day to meditate and pray and read. Or maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you know that you need to come and place your faith in Christ for the first time and you are terrified of that because what is everyone going to think? Because you've been in church and your pride is keeping you from making the step that you know you need to make. Man, let me just tell you, we would hug you and cry with you and celebrate, not judge you for, for that. Man, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, come find, come meet him. Whatever God would call you to do, simply obey. Man, he knows you better than you know yourself. He is for your good. If he's calling you to do something, man, trust him. 
Trust and obey, as the old hymn says. There is no other way. Whatever God is calling you to do, whatever sacrifice, whatever scary, uncomfortable thing he is calling you to do, just obey him. See, God is working in every one of our lives from beginning to end, even when you can't see it. If you want to be connected with God, Peter prayed and he obeyed. Cornelius prayed and he obeyed. If you want to be connected with God, if you want to stop feeling isolated, if you want to stop feeling alone, if you want to understand why, where God is, understand that he's never left, that he's never stopped working, that you're just missing him. You're missing the thing that he's trying to do in your life. You want to stop doing that. You want to know and see where he's working. If you want to be a part of it and be used and changed by God in mighty ways, listen and hear his voice. And when you do, obey him. You won't be sorry. Your life will be richer for it. Let's pray. Father, this morning... As we think about our lives and, and, and you working in them, and as we think about feeling absent from you, feeling distant from you, feeling void from you working in our life, God, would you show us this morning what you'd call us to do? There's some people in this room, Father, that need to come to faith for the first time, and I pray you just give them the boldness to break through their pride, to come talk with me as we sing this next song and just say, Brent, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I need Jesus and I know things aren't right. God, this morning there are people here who harbored unforgiveness and bitterness in their heart. I pray you help them to forgive. There are people here that need to share the gospel. I hope you give them the strength to do that. There are people here this morning that need to join our church. People here this morning that, uh, that, have, that have been in outer orbit, but they need to get connected and plugged in and join and be a part of what you were doing here. I pray you'd help them do that. Father, whatever you would call people to do this morning, whatever you would challenge them to do, I pray that they would hear it clearly and respond in obedience to you. And trust you. Father, we pray that you give us the strength to do that this morning. In Christ's name we pray all as people said.